Just excited to be back with you. My family sends their greetings. My daughter is now 14, which is crazy. I have a seven-year-old, a 14-year-old. I think I have a picture. There they are. So my 14-year-old looks like my wife. My, my, I'm like, oh, I got to buy more guns. I don't want to hurt anybody. I might, though, one day. Uh, because I don't, I don't want my daughters dating anytime soon. But love my family. They send their greetings. Uh, our church sends their greetings. 1132. Uh, we call it Oceans 1132. And our church is located in Orange County, California. And because of your support, I want to remind you guys that three and a half years ago, you guys stepped out on a limb. And with your hard-earned money, you sewed into a struggling church plant. And because of you, uh, you, guys, you guys gave over $30,000 to start Ocean's Church. And I want, to, I want you to know today, because of your generosity, just on Sundays alone, the last 205 weekends, we've seen over 5,000 people give their lives to Jesus. That's a good investment right there. You saved our lives. We're eternally grateful. But I want to say thank you uh, for believing in our vision and what God is doing in California. We believe that when the house is on fire, God sends in firemen. And uh, California is on fire right now, but I believe that God has the hose that can put it out. Can I get a name in? It's called the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness in Texas? It's great to be back with you guys. I brought my friend Shep with me. His name is Shepherd Branch. You have no choice but to be in ministry if your name is Shepherd Branch. He's one of our college students. He's born and raised in Texas. DFW went to Baylor. He worked for Chip and Joanne Gaines. So he's kind of famous. He's single, ladies. Hello. But we're going to have a good time today. So good to be back. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I'd love it if you grab your Bible. I believe that God speaks predominantly through his word. And uh, people say, I hear God's voice. Uh, I'm excited you hear God's voice. Pastorally, I would tell you that God will never say something to you that disagrees with this book. God's, God's spoken word always lines up with God's written word. And today he's going to speak to us. If you believe it, say amen. We're going to enjoy God today. I believe you can laugh in church. I believe you can cry in church, get healed in church, and leave going, I'm glad I went today. Too many people endure church. I don't think church is a burden. I think God designed this to be a blessing. And we should leave going, man, I was glad I went today. Met someone. Someone gave me a word of encouragement. Someone prayed for me today. Someone blessed me today. How many want to go to that church? So I want to encourage you to find someone after service. Just give them an encouraging word. Uh, it's not hard to be prophetic. All you got to do is just say, God, would you love somebody through me today? And it's so cool how God starts to speak to you. Amen. Man, I'm excited. This is going to be a great day. God told me there's someone trying to get pregnant. How cool is this? I was flying here, and God said, Mark, there's someone that's been trying to get pregnant for a while. Uh, a, a one of you couples, it's been like uh, over, over two years. And the other one, it's been over a decade. And he said that this time next year, you're both going to have boys. And uh, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. If you believe God can do it, say amen. amen. So cool, so cool. The other word he told me to tell you at the beginning of the day is he said, uh, there's someone that's on the verge of bankruptcy. You feel like you're going to die financially. And uh, it gave me this cool verse out of Genesis that it says, Hagar cried out to the Lord. She was ready to die. And God sent an angel. And the angel showed her a well. And I just felt like this week, some of you thought you were going to go under, but this week God's going to angelically, he's going to show you a well. He's going to show you something that's going to water you for the future generation. If you believe that God can get you out, come on, say amen. amen. Anybody believe that God's a God that makes a way? Someone has an issue with your retinas, 
And uh, God is going to heal your eyes today. How cool is God? And there's someone else today, you have a, it's like a, like a Lyme disease, some sort of autoimmune disease. Actually, you got it. It attacked your body after a missions trip. And uh, you've been battling it now for a while. God's going to heal you this week. And I feel like the Lord wanted me to tell Casey, Casey's right here. Stretch forth your hands towards Casey. I heard, uh, as you shared your story, it was so cool this morning when I listened to your testimony. So powerful. But I heard the Lord, uh, Casey, saying that he's putting healing in your hands. And oftentimes, some of the greatest healing ministries in the world come out of people that almost died that got healed themselves. And God says, I've healed you to be a healer. And so I pray, Lord, that 1 Corinthians gift of healings, plural, not one miracle is going to flow through your life, but multiple miracles. And I just pray, Lord, as she lay hands on the sick, that she would see so many stories of people recovering, doctors verifying it. In Jesus' name, if you believe 1132 is going to be a miracle, church, come on and say amen. Give them 10 seconds of hand clap this morning. All right. Well, I'm excited. It's going to be a great Sunday. If you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to open up to Genesis. Everyone say, whew. It's always good when a pastor turns to an easy book to find. That one church pastor, like, turn to Habakkuk, you're like, oh, gosh, here we go. Genesis is the first book. If you can't find it, we're going to have a prayer, a prayer time at the end of the service. Uh, but right now, just turn to Genesis this morning, and the uh, book of Genesis is an awesome book. I love, it's the book of origins, it's the book of beginnings. To be honest with you, the first three chapters kind of outline God's original design for humanity. And uh, after the fall in chapter 3, the next 1,186 chapters talk about God's redemptive plan to restore what the first Adam lost through the second Adam, Jesus. And uh, I love the Bible. Uh, the Bible's so intriguing. The more you read it, the more you get addicted to it. And uh, today I'm going to read, read the Bible to you. Uh, I'm going to go to chapter 12 of Genesis, read a promise to a guy named Abram. Abram uh, literally means father. And that's an embarrassing name to have when everyone calls you father when you don't have a kid until you're uh, uh, almost 100 years old. Uh, you have your first kid in your 90s, actually the late 80s, I guess, is when he had Ishmael. He was 100 years old when he had Isaac. And uh, God would change his name from father to one day naming him Big Daddy. <laughs> Abraham means father of many nations. And uh, I believe the day that you're never too old to start with God. Abram didn't start following God until he was 80, this is crazy, this is crazy, 80 years old when he started following Jesus. And uh, 75, 80 years old, it's never too late to start. Can I get one amen? amen. Got your Bible this morning? I want to share something that's very personal to me. I believe it's a promise that God has given our church, given me in this season that we're in. And uh, I'll be very honest with you. I think uh, many believers, they are on their way to heaven but I don't think they're seeing clearly what God could do with their lives here on earth. I'll be honest, I think there is an indictment right now in the North American church that many times we play it safe, we're trying to survive, we're trying to retire, but we're not trying to make a difference for eternity. And I believe that God wants to show us new dreams, new visions, and I want to just remind you today that God is a God of dreams and visions. It actually says after Pentecost... When the Spirit was poured out, it says, your young people will prophesy. Say it with me, prophesy. Kind of a scary word maybe for some of you, but prophecy means that you have the ability to see what God sees. Prophets in the Old Testament were called seers. Did you know that? Seers. And I believe that many times we don't see well in our generation because we don't have pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
I think that the problem with the American church and its inability to prophesy accurately is we have lost our purity of heart because we, we absorb garbage with our eyes. So I want to challenge us today what God has been challenging me, if it's okay. I told the Lord I'll never, I'll never sell anything I don't smoke myself. Amen? <laughs> Something God is challenging me in is he says, Mark, I want you to see what I want. I'm going to show you because you can have everything that I show you. Today I want to talk to you on the subject matter as far as you can see. I believe that your life will be a testament with God or without God, what you do or what you don't see. Some of you are going to raise some God-honoring families. You're going to be bold in your convictions. You're going to take risks for God. God's going to reward you. You're going to change Allen, Frisco, Wiley, and beyond. And it's because you're going to be like Abraham. You're going to be a friend of God. Other people are going to play it safe. They're not going to take risks. They're going to get to heaven, and they're going to bury some talents, and God's going to go, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? I believe that God is looking for some people that see what he sees. Y'all ready to go? I'm a little bit fired up. I preached this last Sunday at my church. This is not like some, I'm not like a traveling evangelist anymore. I'm a local church pastor. It's easy to preach a good message when you preach one message for, for 365 times. I preached this last Sunday. And so if you have your Bible, uh, Genesis, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read uh, four verses, and then we'll go to chapter 13. And by the way, just to give you a little bit of context here, first three chapters, God's design, fall of humanity, chapter 3, murder, chapter 4, flood, chapter 5, 6, 7. It's getting exciting, right? <laughs> chapter 9, there's a hangover. Guy gets naked in his tent dishonors, family gets screwed up, Noah's a, 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 a hungover drunk. You have chapter 10, the Tower of Babel, humanity's rebellion trying to make a name for themselves. Because I want to remind you that, that, that Babel is what humanity does without God. We try to build for our own name. And God comes to Abraham in chapter 11, chapter 12, and he says, no, you're going to build, but you're going to build, and I'm going to make your name great. You see, when you serve God, you don't have to build your name. God builds your name. Y'all ready to go? Chapter 12 says, get out of your country, Abram, from your family. Why would God tell him to get out of his country? Because he was from Babylon. And I believe that right now, America is much like Babylon. Babylon means confusion. And I'll tell you that without God, you will live confused. You'll be confused in your sexuality. You'll be confused in your worldview. You'll let, you, you, some of you, if you don't see God clearly, you'll let your politics inform your theology instead of your theology informing your politics. Can I get a witness in the room today? He says, get out of your polytheistic Babylonian captivity. Get out of that dark place. Get out of your family dysfunction, the, the paganism, the incest, the perversion, the, the sexual compromise that you were raised in to the land that I will, say with me, show you. Everything God does in us starts with what he shows us. He says, I will make you a great nation. What kind of nation? Ladies and gentlemen, God does not do average. We do average. God does not. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You won't make your name great. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Why does God bless us? So that I might bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, so that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, he, he departed. He, he went his way. He goes on. It says that he would actually obey God, end up in a famine. How many ever obeyed God and end up in a worse place? It happens. It's not like voting for Pedro. Come on, somebody. Your wildest dreams don't always come true. 
Sometimes you step out in faith and God gives you something that you didn't want, a famine. But here's what I know is we choose, God, God chooses what we go through in life. We choose how we go through it. God chooses what, we choose how. And Abram Abraham makes two mistakes in the beginning of his journey. He brings Lot with him because God just told him to get away from his family. He partially obeyed. And he also said, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. He did. There was a famine. And in the famine, he went to Egypt. And Egypt represents the world's system in the Old Testament. So when you go through a famine and you go, man, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going back to the bar. I'm going back to the club. I'm going back to the casino. I'm going back to my old lifestyle. God hasn't been kind to me. Whenever you go to Egypt, I'm telling you right now, a couple things happen. You'll stop building altars. There's no altar building in Egypt. Can I get a witness? And when you stop building altars, you'll start getting gifts from Egypt that'll curse you the rest of your life. I believe all of Abraham's problems started with his trip from Egypt. Problems with his nephew, problems with his money, problems with his maidservant, Hagar. Hagar was a gift from Pharaoh in Egypt. If he wouldn't have gone to Egypt, there would be no Ishmael. The Middle East would be a little bit more peaceful today. Listen to me. Egypt will never give you anything that will reward you later in life. Here's my conviction if you're not serving God today. Listen, you can disagree. There's atheists in the room, atheists online. I'll tell you this right now. If what you're doing today will not be fun in 20 years, it's not really fun. Society will overpromise, eat your lunch, blame it on God, and underdeliver. It'll tell you, no, sleep with whoever, do whatever, whatever feels good, do it. And the problem is when you live like the world lives and you go for the systems of Babylon, is one day you wake up with more luggage than LAX. And you're trying to find real love, but you can't find real love because Babylon has lied to you. Sorry, is this too heavy today? I feel like we're living in a day and hour of compromise. We're scared to stand for truth. We're scared to say that I believe in the Bible. We're scared to say there is a man and there is a woman. We're scared to say there is a right and there is a wrong. You can tell by the hand clap. It's a nervous hand clap right now. Can you say that? Yes, you can. Because in the last days, there'll be a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power. God is not coming back for a lukewarm church. He's coming back for a church that's on fuego. Can I get an amen in the back? So basically, he goes to Egypt, makes some mistakes, but he gets out of Egypt. When he gets out of Egypt, he heads out. They have a dispute with his nephew Lot. And God speaks to Abram. Very powerful promise here. God's been speaking to me. In verse 14, and the Lord said to Abram, watch what he says. Verse 14, chapter, chapter 13. He says, the Lord said to him, look as far as you can see. I believe this is a big part of your life, as far as you can see. Look as far as you can see. To the east, to the west to the north, to the south, I am giving you all of this land as far as you can see. I believe that you will never have more than what you can see. In your marriage, in your children, in your business, in your walk with God, in the gifts of the Spirit, you will never have gifts that you don't see. Are you hearing me today? So I'll keep going. He says, look as far as you can. He says, I'll give it to you, to your descendants, as a permanent possession. I will give you many descendants that will be like the dust of the earth, cannot be counted. Go, watch what he says next, walk through it. Say it with me, walk it. Walk through the land in every direction. What directions? Every directions. Uh, why, do, why do that? Because I'm giving it to you. Sometimes you don't believe it's yours until you walk on it. 
So go walk on the promises that I'm going to give you. So Abram moved. Say with me, he moved. That's the problem with most Christians is we camp where God was. That's why they call them moves of God. And we have entire denominations that are named after where God was. They build permanent dwellings where God once was. The problem with movements is that God continues to. So if he moves, we got to move with him. He's the cloud by day. He's the fire by night. Can I get a witness in Texas? It says that he moved his camp from Hebron, and he went near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, and he built, he built, he built, I love it, another altar. Records three altars up to this point that he built. If you want to know where Abram was, look for the altars that he constructed. And I believe that should be the story of every believer in Jesus Christ. That if you want to know where I've been, look for the altars that I have built. I built altars in Idaho. I built altars in California. I built altars in Orange County. And today I'm here to build an altar in Allen, Texas. Y'all ready to go? I'm fired up. Let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you that God will show you stuff not to entice you, not to distract you, not to discourage you. But I believe that with God, we can have what we see. You ready? I ask you today, whether we're atheist or agnostic, whether we're Buddhist or we're Muslim, whether we're completely upset and angry at Jesus, maybe here because a girl said that she was going to break up unless I came to church. I pray today, Lord, for the skeptic, for the critic, for the cynic. I pray for the person that was burned in a church. I pray for the guy that doesn't believe in Christianity because he had a pastor when he was younger that fell morally. I pray today that you would restore the joy of when back in the day he used to believe. I ask you that you'd reinvigorate hearts. I pray that times of refreshing would come today from the presence of the Lord. God, open up our eyes to see, open up our ears to hear, get our feet in motion, and God, show us how to be altar builders. We love you, God, in Allen, Texas. We thank you for the good days that are ahead. God, do what you want to do with the Cowboys this year. In Jesus' name, God's people said an old-fashioned amen. Amen. Amen to that. I, uh... I grew up, uh, I grew up, I wasn't a great uh, academic student growing up, didn't like reading. I actually read only one book all through my first 12 years of school. Uh, it was called The Outsiders. <laughs> only book, true story, only book I ever read, read growing up. Uh, I wasn't a big academic. I went to school for social purposes. And some of you can't identify with me. That's totally fine. I'm going somewhere. I actually, later on in life, became more of a student and got as a sense of humor. I have a, I have a final exam due every Saturday now. Um, but I grew up not taking a lot of tests serious. And I knew, though, there were some tests that you have to take serious. Uh, certain tests, if you don't take them serious, will affect how you live your life. I knew growing up, even at a young age, that if I don't take the optometrist serious, it was going to affect the way I live my life. I always liked the look of glasses growing up. I remember as a kid, I would try my friend's glasses on. I always had good eyes, but I, I liked the way the glasses looked. So I'd put my friend's glasses on just long enough to get a migraine. Eyes would get blurry. You're like, whoa, just so blurry. But I like the way they look, but I look so, it's so blurry. And I like the way that glasses look, but I just, I, I, didn't, I didn't need glasses. But I knew that if I went to the optometrist and I was, I was joking around, that I could end up leaving the doctor's office with Coke bottles on my eyes. I'm like, this is not the time to play. Can I get an amen? There's a time, there's a place. You leave the optometrist after joking around too much. You could leave with glasses that would be labeled as birth control. Come on. So I knew I had to take it serious because if you don't take the optometrist serious, you can live the rest of your life with a blurry, blurry world. 
I knew, the, I knew what it was like to put on glasses that weren't a match for my prescription. It's funny that if you put glass on your face that doesn't line up with your prescription, everything will be blurry. I remember my, my, my stepdad, he got LASIK surgery. I remember that he went in wearing contacts, wearing glasses, got surgery, came out, and he saw the detail of everything. He's like, why did I not, why did I not prioritize this sooner? What's more important than clear vision? But it's interesting that what you see determines how you see the world. And today, I, I felt so strong. I felt so uh, just burdened as, uh, I want to just say, I love, I love this last series you guys have been in out of Nehemiah. And I believe that God has given all of us a burden. Part of the burden that God has given me is I really feel like God has he's challenged me in California. He, he's challenged me to, to, to really be a herald, a messenger to the people of God saying, now's the time to see what God sees. I believe too many people are seeing, but they're not seeing what God sees. Too many people are praying, but they're not praying what God's praying. Too many people are singing, but they're not singing what God is singing. And I believe that we won't pray what God prays, and we won't sing what God sings unless we see what God sees. So significant, so, so important in life. Many people don't realize that Abraham was a seer. He started his journey of faith. He was a friend of God. He was the father of faith because he was someone that had the ability to see. I believe that Christians' job in the world are to be seers. That's why, the, that's why the baker and the butler came to Joseph in the prison. They had dreams, but they didn't know what to see, what they meant. I believe that we have always been called to actually be vision to those that are blind. Job said, God, make me eyes to the blind and make me feet to the lame. This is the call of the believer. I believe that God wants his people to be 20-20 vision. He wants us to see for those that cannot see. Part of why God did so many miracles of opening up blind eyes is God would say, if I could do this physically, imagine what I could do spiritually in your life. God is a God that sees. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet. Not yet. There's a big part of our life of faith is seeing what's not there yet. How do you see what's not there yet? I believe that Abraham is Abraham today. And we are his descendants. All those who believe are sons of Abraham. As the great lyricist said, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. This is not a cult. It's a Sunday school song. Abraham was a friend of God, and I believe that all friends of God that walk with him at some point will start to get vision from God. Isn't it cool that in Acts chapter 2, right after the Holy Spirit was poured out, he says, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will get visions. I actually believe that you can tell the quality and the, and the health of your spirit by your ability to see God's visions and dreams. Some of you think more about, again, winning the lottery or maybe striking it rich. And I've been, listen, I'm, I'm going to throw dark, darts at myself. I was thinking about that lottery last night. So I don't usually buy tickets, but maybe I should. The Lord would bless. But I'll be very honest with you. I think a big mark of when you know your spirit is healthy is when you're not relying on fantasy to thrive. What would God do with you if you would... You give him permission to actually turn on your ability to dream and have visions. Abraham was a guy that saw something. 
And we know that because he saw something, there was a nation that was formed, that the Hebrews came from a heathen, and the Jews came from a Gentile from Babylon, because Abraham saw something. I think he's arguably one of the most significant figures in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Without Abraham, there would be no Jews, there would be no nation of Israel, there would be no Bible, and without, without the Bible, we'd have no lineage of the Christ. Abraham was very significant. And I believe today that the, uh, the invitation is still there on the table if God's saying to us, what are you willing to see? I believe that what you see in life actually creates, it creates the world that you live in. Some of you are living in a blurry world because you don't take God serious. I actually believe that everyone in Babylon is confused because life without God leads to confusion. That's why you can't out-success your way. You can't, you can't out-gratify the desires that are in your heart. I have people in our church that live in $40 million houses, $50 million houses, have $20 million in vehicles in their garage, and they're still as hollow on the inside as a gun barrel. I'm telling you that you can look straight on the outside but be empty on the inside. And so many people don't realize this, that, that, what we, we, that we can actually, in life, we can only have what we see. Where we look is where we're going. Where we think is where God is going to give us authority to create. So here's the first thing I felt the Lord just wanted me to tell you today. Is number one, I believe that we can have what we see if, number one, we'll see God clearly. To be honest with you, the reason why most of you don't even believe what I'm saying right now is because you think that God is benevolent, you think that God is angry, bipolar, confused, cold, uh, schizophrenic. You think that God is some uh, jealous, just just, uh, uh, insecure, jealous God. God is not jealous because he's insecure. God's jealousy is required because of how awesome he is. It would be a crime not to give God the glory that's due to his name. So we see here, it's interesting, is that God is a, is a God, as you see him, will determine how you see the world. You see him as angry, distracted, disappointed, unhappy. That's how you and I are going to see the world. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's believing in spite of consequence. John 5 says it this way. Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father doing, the son also does in a like manner. And the Father's great delight is to show the Son all things. And greater things will he show us because he loves the Son. Do you know what God God loves to do to his kids? He loves to show us what he sees. So fun to be close to God. He starts to show us things. I want to ask you something. What is God showing you as you worship him? I believe that what you and I see when we're in the presence of God is what really matters in life. I'll repeat that phrase because it's very significant. When you start worshiping God and you open up your heart and you start to lift your hands and you lift your voice and you start building an altar, what God shows you at altars says that he began to worship at Bethel and he saw angels ascending and descending. It was Jacob's ladder, right? We know that what we see in worship is what matters in life. So many of us are building these towers of Babel because we're building things outside of the presence of God. God's presence is where our imagination is stimulated. It's where God's visions are released. It's where God's dreams begin to be sowed. And many people are building these Tower of Babels, building sand castles instead of God's kingdom. And they're empty because your own kingdom is empty. God's kingdom is fulfilling. 
And I felt the Lord saying, Mark, I want to show my people what they're supposed to build. What do you see in the presence of God? What we see with God is what matters in life. He said, look on the land. Abram, hey, look to the north. Look to the south. Look to the east. Look to the west. Count the stars, he goes on in Genesis 15. If you can count them, so shall your descendants be. God doesn't underdeliver if we don't underbelieve. God will never underdeliver if we don't underbelieve. And I think many times in life we don't get a lot because we don't see a lot. You can have all that you, you can have all that you, are you still with me today? I believe it's so important in life. We, were, we moved down to California. We had a great life in Idaho, but God showed us a burden, gave us a burden, and I saw a church in California that would ignite fire to the coastlands. I saw a church that would literally uh, start to pull people out of the fire, start to show people there is a true God. It's crazy. We started four years ago. We moved four years ago. The church is three and a half years old. It's wild that, that uh, five weeks ago, we bought an $18 million building. $18 million that we didn't have. God showed us a building. We started sowing into other churches. And as we sowed $100,000 into other churches, God showed us a building that wasn't on the market. It's 900 yards for our new campus. God said, you're not going to be a leaser. You're going to be an owner. Showed us an $18 million building. I'm like, well, that's cool. I want it. I looked at it. I saw it, but I didn't have anything for it. But, what it, but the people told us that owned it, they were a Christian university. They said, if you guys want it, you looked at it first. You looked at it first. So since you saw it first, we're going to give you the first swing at the pinata. They said, if you can get financing in seven days, we'll sell it to you. If you're in the finance world, you know that seven days, $18 million in a three-year-old organization, let alone nonprofit, let alone a church, after the Rona, come on. This is not easy times to get financing. But God created a way that I met a guy it's from the East Coast, worked with a bank that specializes in churches like ours. I talked to him on Thursday. He flew out on Monday, interviewed me, interrogated me. Our team, he said, look, in, in all of our years, we've done over 1,000 loans for churches. We've never done a loan for this amount for a church you're young. Your, your church that's that young. It's like, you're young, but we're going to give it to you. And he loaned us $18 million. I called him back in five days. I said, we got a loan. Oh, and by the way, they said, we'll do the loan only if you can raise $5 million in 42 days. I was like, okay, I think we can do that. I think God's in it. I saw the building. So then I started prayer walking the building every day. I started walking the outsides, had my hands up. People, I was Shondayan. I was, what about a Kia? Should have bought a Hondayan. I was going crazy. I was seeing it. And then the second thing I started doing, because God will show you things, but sometimes seeing them is not enough. He told Abraham, you'll only have it if you go walk it. Some of you got promises that God gave you 20 years ago that are on the shelf because you never went to walking it. Sometimes you got to take this first step of faith. My mentor said, it's always significant to do the next right thing. You can't always get to the end destination, but you can do the next right direction. So I started walking this property every day. I said, I believe that God will give us $5 million in 42 days. God didn't give us $5 million in 42 days. God raised $5 million in 35 days. We got the keys. We got an architect. We're building this puppy out. And this is, this, I know this is, just a, this is just a building for a church. I get it. It's whatever. 
But I'm telling you that some of you, that, that thing that God's given you is a daughter that's been away from God for two decades. You have to see her coming home. And when you see her coming home, you got to go back into her bedroom that she was raised in. you got to start walking around her bed and declaring them the promises of God that she's going to be a terrible sinner, that she's going to lose her appetite for the club, that she's going to stop going after the things of Babylon, that she's coming home. And as you walk in her room, as you see it, here's what we do. We start to build number three altars on it. I have a simple message for you today. I believe that God is looking for Christians that really see what God sees. But the problem with most Christians is we see it, but we don't walk it. Or we walk it, but we never are spiritually minded enough to build an altar on it. Well, I went and looked at the house. Did you pray? Well, I just looked at it. Just look at it. Would you just look at it? And you're looking at it, but you're not building an altar on it. You know, God honored Abraham. You know why Lot was Lot and Abram was Abraham? Is because one, they both knew God. But one changed the world because everywhere he went, he built an altar. There is no recordings of Lot building altars. All we know about Lot is he got an appetite for Egypt. He chose Sodom because it looked like Egypt, the Bible says. He lived in the plains, and then he lived in the city limits. And by the time we pick up reading before Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, destroyed he's living in the inner gates. Why? Because the world and Babylon is never content with you living at a distance. They will, they will absorb as much of your life as you could possibly get. He was so convoluted and so diluted because he never built altars that not only did his wife not have an appetite for God, she turned around and looked back at Sodom because he married a woman that didn't know how to build altars because he didn't know how to build altars. Raised two daughters that were so screwed up, they got into this incest relationship. Had son-in-laws that were so, so warped in their thinking that when he said, the city's going to be destroyed, they thought he was joking. He said, Abraham prayed for him. Abraham said, if there is just ten righteous, do you know that if Lot was on fire, his wife was on fire, his daughters were on fire, his son-in-laws were on fire, that if just his immediate family would have reached one person each, an entire city would have been saved. There would have been 12 righteous. But they couldn't reproduce even themselves. Because Lot failed to reproduce it in his family. And I'm, I'm talking to men for a minute. Because you can make all the money in the world and be a great provider. If you don't model to your children what it looks like to build altars. You'll send your kids to the best sports camps and they'll be great athletes. But you won't send them to church camps and they won't be great Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, you can send them to the best schools and make, raise up academic children. But education and success without God makes wealthier famous devils. I don't want kids that are just smart. I don't want kids that are just great athletes. I don't want kids that are just great influencers. I want kids that know how to build altars. If you're going to clap today, give them a good hand clap. We got kids in church, seeing moms and dads that go to church on Sunday, getting high during the week, getting drunk during the week, looking at pornography during the week, kids catching you doing bad stuff. Where are the men that mom and dad, these kids are walking in, catching dad, catching mom, building altars? I believe one of the greatest memories you can give your children is I remember growing up seeing my grandma praying. I remember growing up seeing my father-in-law lay on the ground in prayer meetings. 
I remember my, my, my in-laws crying out for the city they were pastoring for. And it was those memories of passionate prayer, of, of abandoned worship that seared my brain that if God is real, we have to be all in. I'm telling you right now that if you're not all in, you're doing more damage than you're doing good. It's bipolar Christians. It's, it's, it's half-hearted. It's lukewarm. It's I'm on Sunday, on, I'm church on Sunday, but I'm living like hell the rest of the week. You're not helping anybody. It says the name of God is blasphemed because of the church that's not on fire. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I'm just saying like C.S. Lewis, if Jesus isn't real, this is of not, no importance. If Jesus is real, if he got out of the grave, if the greatest religion that ever hit the world, the only religion that's true, that came out of the grave 2,000 years ago, which by the way, I wouldn't have recommend starting a new religion by a guy that came out of the electric chair or the, the crucifixion that died a murderer's death and try to start a new religion out of a hero that was crucified. I wouldn't make the greatest eyewitnesses women when they can't testify in the court of law. I wouldn't make the heroes of the Bible females when they weren't even honored in that civilization. Fictitious books don't glamorize things that God wouldn't glamorize. People say, Mark, women can't preach. I'm like, well, if you were drowning, you wouldn't care who throws you a life preserver. I'm telling you today, God uses men, God uses women, God uses white, black, every ethnicity. God is a God of all tribes, all nations. Are you hearing me today? He is a God that wants to get glory from every corner of society. Question for you today is, can you see it? Can you see it? Will you get caught building altars? And I just feel like if we'll be a, if we'll be a people that go, God, I'll build an altar. Like Pastor Dustin said, I have a burden. What do you do with burdens? You build altars. God, I got a burden to start this nonprofit organization. I got a burden. I'm building an altar here. I got a burden, man, to start this ministry that feeds the poor, clothes those that need clothes, that feeds the hungry. I, want, I got a burden. I got a burden. I got a burden. I got a burden. What do you do? You see it? You walk it? And you build an altar on it? I believe that everyone that's lived before us wasn't necessarily smarter than us, wasn't necessarily better than us. I believe the great feats of men and women of God in all of history, they have these three things in common, is as they walk with God, they saw it, they walked it, and they built altars on it. Lot was Lot because he was an altarless building man. But Abraham was Abraham, not because he was perfect, but because he was an altar builder. Will we be a, will we be a people? that see what God sees. People say, what do you see, Mark? Well, I see a lot of stuff. I see, uh, I wrote it down here. I, I, see, I see God's spirit filling churches from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. So full of his wind and fire that it would ignite our generation. I see it unifying the people of God of all backgrounds, all social economic standings, I see his church being so littered with signs and wonders, miracles that would shake our land. I see God's presence so tangible that it would transform hearts, households, cul-de-sacs, cities, counties, states, and nations. I see God reviving classrooms, courtrooms, locker rooms, and living rooms. I believe that when God gets a hold of the people called the church, that society is transformed. Long ago, 
I bought into this belief that the most significant or organism, not organization, organism on the earth is the church. Because ladies and gentlemen, we cannot, we can write, I'm all about godly leaders. I'm all about godly policy. Please pray, please, please vote, please get involved. But listen to me, we cannot legislate the problem of the human heart. I love our Marines. We just sent one of our boys this week to go fight overseas in the Marines. Our great military can't defeat the enemies of the human heart. NATO can't solve the problems. The Global Peace Summit can't solve our problems. The only one qualified to heal the human heart is the one that created it. And the place that God transforms hearts is in His church. Kids that use fists as children to beat each other up, use knives as teenagers, use guns as adults. And if we don't change them as kids, who changes that heart? You can't make enough money to change the heart. You can't give enough fame and celebrity status to change their heart. Only God changes the human heart. And if God's greatest weapon to change humanity's heart is His church, I would go on the record to say there is nothing more worthy of our life than to build this thing called His church. Can I get an amen? I see it. I see it. I see, us, I see God using us to be friends. God uses men and women all throughout the Bible. Moses was a great lawgiver. Moses was a great leader. Joshua was a great general. David was a great worshiper. He was a great king. Elijah was a great prophet. Noah was a great builder. But listen to me. Abraham, he was a friend of God because he was willing to see what God told him to see. And when he saw it, he walked out on it. And when he walked out on it, he began to build altars on it. So here's my question to you. Do you want to be a friend of God? Friendship with God is reserved to those that will see what God shows walk out on it, and build an altar on it. Is there any altar builders in Allen, Texas today? Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you this morning. I believe that God is summonsing us once again to see. It's crazy. I was, all my best moments, you want to look genius? You want to be like a genius in your organization? You want to be a genius in your family? All you got to do is spend time with God, read your Bible, Ask God to speak to you and write down what he tells you when you're, when you're having those moments. So I had a moment about eight weeks ago before we got our building. God said, I want you to, he said, where do you want to reap in Orange County? I said, I want to reap in every city of Orange County. He said, well, how many cities are there? I said, there's 300, or there's, there's 34, 34 cities. 3.2 million people that live in 34 cities. He said, well, you'll reap everywhere you sow. I said, Okay. How do you want me to sow, God? He said, I want you to sow into the greatest weapon of, of Orange County, the church. I said, what church? He said, all the churches. He said, pick a church and pick a pastor in every city that you want to reap in. We picked Calvary chapels. We picked vineyards. We picked non-denominational Baptist churches, all different types of churches. We picked the pastors of the church and the church itself. We wrote a $5,000 check to the church and a $5,000 check to the pastors. And week after week, we started giving. We've given over $100,000 to over, I think, 11 or 12 churches now. In the last, whatever, how many weeks? I can't remember how weeks it's been. Just, just a few weeks more than that. After that vision, about, I don't know, about five weeks ago, I was praying, and I had a vision. I was reading a book, and it said the largest baptism in American history was at Pirate's Cove, Corona Del Mar, which is where I live. 
It was in 1991, 5,000 people were baptized. And I kid you not, as I read that on this book, I, I saw an open vision. And I saw the Church of California, not Ocean's Church. I saw the Church of California uniting. And I saw us converging on Pirate's Cove once again. I actually saw two yachts with sound systems on it. Someone like a Chris Tomlin leading worship from the yachts. The generals of our state like Greg Laurie and Rick Warren and others standing on these ships, walking the crowd through what baptism means. And I saw us literally capturing the headlines of CNN, Fox News, and everyone in between. Recording that in the, in, a, in the spite of a recession, in spite of a pandemic, in spite of the most stupid politics in California history, a great revival is breaking out once again on the beaches of California. That we would break the largest water baptism record in American history in 2023 on Pentecost Sunday. So May 28th, we set our sights. We did a baptism last Saturday with over 500 people from our church. Probably one of the largest single church baptisms there in a long time. One of our staff members went home. He said, Mark, I watched videos from the Jesus People Movement. Lonnie Frisbee, Chuck Smith. He said, Greg Laurie was on the beach. It's crazy. He said, Mark, it was 1973. I said, you're telling me that when we're there next year, it'll be the 50-year anniversary? Only God does this stuff. I said, God, how am I, I'm the new kid in town, how am I going to unite the Church of California? He said, well, you just made like 12 friends. They'll come. And if they'll come, they'll invite their friends. I said, Lord, I had no idea. He said, I know you didn't know that. But it's cool to obey God. When you see what he sees, you walk where he walks, and you build altars, God can change a region. And you know what God showed me when it captures national headlines? You know what it's going to do to the nation when they see revival breaking out on our beach? It's going to strengthen the spine of the church all over America. Do you believe that God will do that? Come on, if God can win in California, God can win anywhere. Do you believe that today?